welcome to my podcast, Cyberglass Ceiling. I'm going to have a light-hearted fireside chat with some people who are leaders in the industry of cybersecurity. Prominent for the fact that they are a women, people of colour, LGBTQ, or just different. The term glass ceiling refers to sometimes invisible barriers to success that many come up against in their careers. A management consultant called Marilyn Loden coined the phrase almost 40 years ago regarding women rising to senior positions and says it's still as relevant as ever today. So I've taken it a little step further, not just women, but people of colour and bias that may exist in the workplace and how they overcame this to become leaders in the industry. I promise not too much swearing, no politics or religion, just a cuppa and whatever takes your fancy. And welcome to episode three. My name's Charles James and today I have with me Claire Phelps. Claire, say hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm you good, right? thank you. Good, yeah. good, good. Uh, Claire is the CISO for a company called WageStream, but I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to get Claire to tell you a little bit about who WageStream are and what you do there, and then we'll kick into our little question there, if that's okay. Yeah, so um, I'm the CISO, Chief Information Security Officer for WageStream. Um, I've been working with them since October 2021. Um, and they are um, a flexible pay company that offered financial well-being solutions um, within an application for uh, predominantly frontline workers. Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, my daughter, <laughs> who's a student at Nottingham University, she uses Wagestream, she says. Uh, she has a job working for a nightclub. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, <laughs> but um, she said, all I do, Dad, is stamp tickets and uh, get people to come to the club. So I'm like, okay then. And she goes, sometimes she uses Wavestream to get her salary before she gets paid. Uh, and that's part of it. And, and there's another part around saving pots, did you say? Yeah, build, build pots. So um, we allow people to, um, as part of our application, to save money into a build pot, which they can use in, instead of drawing down on their wages. So there is a build pot which they're allowed to um, users um, to access in case they need to in an emergency. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, if, to get a nail in your tyre or something or the washing machine goes or... The boiler. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> so as you know, I'm going to kick in with some questions. And um, the first question is kind of simple. Claire, without an E, what was your first ever job? Uh, so when I first left school... Um, this always um, surprises people, but I was a travel consultant. So okay. I worked in a local travel agency um, and I sold holidays for a living. Ah, I, I get it. And um, did you have to taste the holidays first before you sort of recommended them? Well, they used to call them educationals. Um, and yes, I did do um, I did a nice little trip to Disneyland Paris for a few days, which okay. was lovely. Oh, very good. And uh, was that straight from school or college? Yeah, they're straight from school. Oh, fantastic. And uh, that was your first ever job. Good. And what attracted you, I guess, how did you get into IT and what attracted you to the, the you know, the world of cybersecurity? Completely by accident. <laughs> um, I came into information security, um, PA consulting, um, lost a memory stick, um, which contained prisoner details on, I think in 2009. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and everyone was 
information security then was a really hot potato, you know, and um, a me removable media was used widely as a, a means to transfer data from one company or one person to another. Um, and unencrypted memory sticks are really easy to get into. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the, the loss of um, that memory stick and PA consulting obviously then lost government contracts and um, the company I was working for at the time looked at, you know, the questions that they were being asked by their customer clients um, as to what security they have in place, what certifications. Um, and I just came back from maternity leave for the second time and was looking at, you know, like as you do when you come back from maternity leave, sometimes something a little bit more flexible so that you come back from home a bit more and... Mm -hmm. um, sort of maybe part-time and, and things like that. Anyway, information security was hot potato and um, there wasn't an internal team as such. Um, and there was a senior manager that asked, he needed somebody to work with him on information security um, and extend the ISO 27001 certificate from the IT department, which was very common back in the day mm -hmm. that people would have a scope of a very small scope. Um, and off the back of a number of data breaches, there were a number of them, um, it was very clear that the scope needed to be all people, all processes within a company, not just the IT team. Um, and I was part of the team that extended the scope from IT to 22 offices and 12,000 people. Wow. There you go. And was that with um, the company you were at for 14 years? That's right. Yes. 14 years. Yes. 14 years. That's a, that's a long time. So... Um, you built the way up from there. And did you have to get certified and um, get different credentials to, to to do that job? Or was it just literally learning on the job? So I learnt on the job and then I became a lead auditor for ISO 27001. Um, so I became gamekeeper turned poacher. Yep. <laughs> because I was managing my own information security management system and being audited on a regular basis. And then I started auditing suppliers and internal teams. Um, and really, really enjoyed it. And there was just something about information security um, and the diversity of it, as in the, the number of different topics that really, really suited me. I mean, one of my skills that I have is that I'm a real people person. Mm -hmm. I love people. I love... I'm going to agree to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I just have um, a way about me that makes information security very easy to understand. So... I was given quite a lot um, around the awareness and the training of information security and being the person that went into offices and try and change the culture. Good. Well, yeah. And again, that's probably one of the reasons we're here just to uh, about the diversity and inclusion. Um, when I started in uh, the world of cybersecurity, like I said, it was normally just a bunch of old middle aged white men um, or techies just doing stuff. And it was like, OK, where's the diversity? You know, um, but. But again, we'll, we'll touch on that a bit later. Um, that first interview where you thought to yourself, actually, they're, they're not taking me seriously. And, um, you know, you could sense they were judging you because of your gender rather than the skill sets that you had. Uh, do you remember Do you remember feeling what that was like or did, has that ever happened to you in so, any sense? So it does become a little bit uncomfortable sometimes that you're not seen as technical and I think that's kind of the phrase that they kind of give you as a bit of a catch-all um because obviously as a, a female you sometimes I, I don't know you, some of the way I come across is that I'm very friendly I'm very people orientated and people get very caught cool up actually I do know a lot from a technical point of view mm -hmm. hence why I'm doing the job that I'm doing um 
And it's actually the way that they ask the question to you. It can be very condescending. Um, and I'll be sometimes the response I give back is not necessarily what they're looking for, but it's the right answer. Gotcha. And uh, I, I suppose, you know, that that being judged on, oh, okay, she, you know, she doesn't know everything because uh, you've combat that with, say, giving them the, the, the right answer and, uh, you, you you know, you, you said, well, actually, I'm, I am the uh, Chief Information Security Officer here. Um, you know, when you've been at an event or you, you, you've been somewhere where there's a meeting and they're, they're not sure of who you are, um, is that something that's happened and they've gone, oh, right, let's be that chap, chap over there. And, uh, you know, you know, we joked earlier about, oh, you know, could I get a cup of tea, please, love? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that definitely is in, in meetings with um, very senior people. Um, I mean, I've had somebody um, be rather rude to me because um, I was there as the, the junior person, let's just say, but I wasn't there as the junior person there. I was there as the subject matter expert. Fantastic. How do you combat that now? So I just take everything in my stride. And, okay. And I really, really have worked on unconscious bias um, because so many people suffer from it and I, I can usually um, see it very quickly in somebody that's asking me some questions. Um, and I will be a little bit defensive or, you know, um, give a little bit more of an explanation to explain that I have had a lot of experience. You know, I've been doing risk management in some shape or form for 20 years nearly. So um, I, there isn't much I don't know about risk management and compliance. Good. Understood. So now as a leader in your workplace now, um, would you say you've seen that shift uh, in culture, promoting women. Um, now you're at the top table, you're influential, influential even at setting those goals, those sort of diversity and inclusion goals within in the business. Yeah, I think there is. I mean, there's a massive move towards diversity and um, inclusion um, compared to when I started working, um, particularly when I first started up in London. Um, I think I have. Um, so my career, I started off as a secretary and, and I have certainly had a number of people look down at me off the back of the fact that I used to be a secretary and would come in and expect me just to take minutes of meetings and not to add to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, the big difference for people that are coming into the workplace new now is that, that they are seen um, as um, equals rather than female and men are more equal compared to when I started at the workplace for sure yeah. so the, the, you've seen that culture shift and um, uh, yeah I suppose it's still got a long way to go um, but it's happening and I've seen it start to happen as well um, it, when we met at the event uh, a little while ago um, yeah one of the events um, one of the things I noticed that there were there were a lot of women there uh, and they're women at, at senior levels. Um, you know, in episode two, I, I, I interviewed uh, Shweta Gupta uh, and she told her story. Um, and and there's, pl there's many more to go, if that makes sense. And it, for me, it's pleasing uh, to, you know, see this and identify this and speak to you today. So we're going to take a break and uh, we'll be back after these words. Sea Vision International is a global event and advisory firm dedicated to convening leading visionaries in an exclusive environment for peer-to-peer -peer collaboration. 
Our programs highlight critical business challenges and deliver the best available applied sciences aimed to change the world. Your vision is our mission. Let us help you build your company's future today, not tomorrow. And welcome back. And uh, as uh, said here, this is episode three. And with me, I have Claire Phelps from Wadestream. Um, welcome back. And uh, we're going to get straight back into our questionnaires. Uh, so, your bugbear when dealing with people from outside the company, not internally, but externally. Um, and they, again, they don't know who you are from Adam. Um, have you experienced that? That um, um, we touched on it earlier, where they would sort of look through you, or, or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, I mean, there is that element of it, and also um, the problem with email is that they, you get no kind of rapport with somebody. So I was asking a very basic security question um, around a, a supplier. And they sent me back a link to some generic information that any information security professional would know. And I was a bit, I am the CISO. (laughs) I know all about technical controls and what should be there and what shouldn't be there. I'm actually asking specifically what you have. Um, And it was about rephrasing the question to be a little bit more direct. And I think sometimes um, you might have CISO in the the title of your email and people people don't always read down that far these days. Um, Now... As we're in cybersecurity, and as you are a CISO, and you are a leader um, in, 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 in the world of cybersecurity, let's touch on some of the challenges that keep you awake at night. Now, this is not about going down the road of saying, oh, this is my technical setup and it's a nightmare. But um, as the world recovers from COVID, um, there's still hybrid working going on. Um, you know, does that affect how you invest in technology? Um, what uh, have you seen the landscape change in the last 18 months that uh, means that we, you as a business need to do more of A rather than more of B? Yeah, so um, when COVID first hit, I was still at my previous job, which is a large corporate. Um, a number of people you know, had their day job in the office and there yeah. obviously was a big prob- um, problem with access and getting laptops to people and there were lots of um, different challenges that you know, came completely from left field off the back of the first lockdown, uh, which is three years ago now. Um, And I I think everyone did move to hybrid. You know, desktops are a thing of the past. Um, We now want laptops. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they do have their place for those that, you know, um, in call centres when they have to be in the office. Um, There are some contractual um, obligations with, um, if you're using a contact centre, um, there will be some customers that will say they can only be in the office. So particularly during COVID, that that could be, you know, some challenge for some customers, you know, like for some companies, it is a bit of a challenge because you've got a contractual obligation that your yeah, people yeah. have to be in yeah. the office, but you're not allowed in the office because you're not allowed to. I, I use the example um, in, in episode two where I, I was, I was um, uh, working with a an insurance company actually in in in, in the city, um, something like twelve thousand workers, and literally overnight, um, about eighty percent of them, they had about twenty percent who were hot desking anyway, uh, but everyone as per normal used to come into the office, do their job, go home, and then overnight when COVID kicked in, it was like ah, um, you guys got to work from home. How are we going to one make sure you're still productive? Two secure um how you guys access 
applications and access the network and access this. Um, when you're in a building, it's it's the perimeter, and it's. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was, and it, but it was also the capacity of the VPN to, to allow a huge number of people to access it at the same time. Mm-hmm. A, a number of companies, um, you know, big companies, um, really struggled with the amount of people that wanted to use VPN on a Monday morning. Or The biggest eye-opener with COVID is how productive people can be from home. Absolutely. If they've got the right tools and they're, you know, able to access everything that they can from the office, uh, people are super productive because they don't have the travelling time. Um, There are some people that maybe might not be as productive, but you would have that in the office anyway. They would go off um, and, (laughs) yeah, go off and have a little break and go to the coffee shop for, you know, like um, in a, a large corporate, you can hide quite easily. Um, by going to have conversations with different people and um and it's exactly the same at home in that you might go and put the washing on or you might but you would normally go to the have a break go to the toilet you know like and be away from your desk so i think people became very productive and very efficient in both their home and um, their personal lives and work lives which i think was also very beneficial to the company and the person yeah no um I'm a massive advocate for the hybrid working. Um, I'm, I suppose for me, I'm a, you're a people person, I'm a people person. And being siloed sometimes, it was like, hmm, you've got to be productive. But it's like, hmm, you know, thinking, ah, you've got no one to bounce off of. And, you know, you can be Zoomed out. How many Zoom calls can you yeah. do in a day and all Zoom that? Zoom fatigue was definitely um, there. The biggest thing that is missing is the collaboration. Yeah. As you said, the... Um, you, if you're in a room with a whiteboard with somebody, you can kind of get across what you're trying to say and, and discuss it and come up with some other ideas. That was a little bit lost in lockdown and working from home. Um, and I know that a number of companies have changed their office environments so that it is more of a collaborative um, space. Absolutely, yeah. Um, rather than there's your desk, yeah. there's your chain, there's your tower. <laughs> Which is a, um, a CISO then gives you other issues to think about. So you say, you know, like um, what keeps me awake at night? The biggest thing that keeps me awake at night is around, you know, the next threat that's coming down the line. Um, when ransomware um, wanna cry hit, it wasn't really a thing that we thought about. Cause no. um, I mean, wanna cry was like a, a new name and then it was all over the papers and we were being asked questions whether we'd done a, a patch. Well, if you're on top of your patching, then you didn't have an issue with it. But um, obviously a number of companies did get caught out by it and, and still do with ransomware. Practical advice you would give to your family and friends uh, when you're looking at the threat, lab, threat, threat landscape. So the easiest one for me to say is do not write your passwords down on a piece of paper. A, you're going to lose it. (laughs) Or B, I mean, I always think about, you know, if somebody broke into your house, what information are you giving to them? If you've written down your passwords in a password book, it's probably the first thing that they're going to take and then try. Um, The other thing is that if your password has been compromised by another site, so if you've used, you know, a site that you've used has been in the news because it's been hacked Mm -hmm. um, and you've got a password on it, make sure you change that password. Make sure you've not reused that password anywhere else. I think people um, can get caught out by that quite easily because historically, before we had password management tools that are easy to use, um, everybody had the same password for every, everything. Yeah, everything. every application, everything they wanted to get into. And we're guilty. Yeah. Because, um, you know, not you, but as I've got older, 
<laughs> my brain's gone. <laughs> There's only so much um, information it can hold, and it's like, ah, oh, which one's that one? So I came up with a slightly different methodology. Um, I, I love music, and I have some, you know, I've got some, my favourite albums are from whoever they may be, from Prince to uh, Foo Fighters to Red Hot Chili Peppers. I've got a very eclectic taste. And it's like, well, okay, um, I know what my password's going to be because they're going to be titles of songs. Um, yeah. And whether it, you know, whether it be in the 80s, 90s or whatever it may be, it's like, okay. And when I want to change it, next album track, next album track, next album track. And for me, it makes total sense. But that makes total perfect sense unless you write on Facebook the answers to these questions that ask you what your favourite artists and albums are. Yep. Um, because... It's then public knowledge. <laughs> no, in, indeed. and But again, I'm glad you said that. Social media, Facebook. Facebook was great five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, I, I, I think sending people now of a certain age um, will, will do stuff on Facebook. I rarely do anything on Facebook uh, unless it's having to go at a certain government. Uh, but again, this is not the place to talk about that. But um, no, I rarely use Facebook um, anyway. And my audience in, in Instagram is people that I can either accept or not accept. And, um, you know, it's just put rubbish on there. So you're right. If if someone's coming into your house and they turn it over, you don't want your password being stuck on the bottom of the, the key, uh, the keypad or, you know, stuck on the uh, your monitor somewhere. Um, and you know, people have to be a little bit more flexible in their mind, and you know, mine's album tracks from from whoever. Uh, so no, that, that's good. Claire Phelps is a, a, a budding twenty uh, something looking to get into cybersecurity. Um, what advice um, would you give your younger self? So the biggest thing that pulled my career back to begin with was not having a degree. It, I haven't got a degree. <laughs> no, I haven't got a degree. School and of I, life. I, you know, <laughs> and I have definitely learnt on the job. But um, when going for promotions at different times in my life, um, I do feel that in those promotional meetings, not having a degree background, and particularly in a large corporate, um, doesn't help your case. Okay. And would you recommend that um, having a degree is, is something that will get you onto that ladder? So I, I think depending on what type of company you want to work for and um, what it is that you want to do, um, I do think in information security there is, um, I do see on a lot of job applications that they want a degree um, level. But actually, when you think a degree 20 years ago in mm -hmm. computer science, we work in a very different environment now. Absolutely. Um, the great thing is technology is always changing. It never stops. This is why we don't have Nokia phones anymore when we pull the aerials out. Do you know what I mean? Um, and The car phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't that posh. Sorry, love. <laughs> I only know from when he falls in horses and Del Boy as well. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that posh. But th this is exact, my exact point. Technology never stops. It's always changing on a day-to-day -day basis. Threats never stop. They change on a day-to-day -day basis. So it would it be a matter of um, keep educating yourself, keep re-educating yourself, understanding and learning new things all the time? Uh, that's the way to, in, in my mind, um, yeah, great, you've got a degree so you can follow, follow a, a, a consensus of um, this is what you need to do to pass whatever. And it gives you a... It gives an employer 
uh, an understanding that yeah you can you can follow something to an end result which is what works really about most of the time but sometimes you've got to use your, your, you know whether it be your personality and your noggin to say well actually um, I can do this in a practical level uh, not just in the theory level if that makes sense and I think that is the big difference between me and those that have had more of an educational background that I am as I said a real people person mm -hmm. I am very pragmatic around some of the controls um, I like working with the business I'm a business enabler um, I don't like being a blocker at all um, and we find solutions to information security problems because there are things that come down the line all the time mm -hmm. and you have to be really agile, you have to think about your business, you have to think about your customers, you have to think about the data and you've got to allow the business to continue. We've learned a little bit about yourself, understood how you've gone or started in, in travel and you've ended up being a, a leader in cyber security for a, you know, a fintech. Would you call yourself a fintech? Yeah, fintech, Yeah, yes. a fintech. Uh, business after many years working for one of the can I say one of the big four yes yes you can say one of the, one big, of the four. big four um, and uh, sorted those guys out so what does Claire Phelps do for fun I have a number of different interests um, my biggest passion and love is probably golf I <gasps> love golf um, I'm a member of our local traditional golf club I'm also a member of an, another seaside traditional golf club as well um, and I love nothing more than to um, on a particularly sunny afternoon in the summer to go and play some golf. So does that mean you're a fair weather golfer? <laughs> a bit like myself. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I'm a fair weather golfer. Um, I do play in pretty much anything um, although if it is raining absolute cats and dogs um, and you're just getting soaked it isn't a lot of fun. Yeah um, I do sort of play golf but I sort of don't I've got the clubs I've got the bag I've got the shoes I've got them but I'm not very good you mean you've got all the gear but no, no idea. idea you've got it in mind I can hit the ball uh, I can absolutely you know drive it god knows how far but that's about it I'm still trying to figure out all the clubs and what they're supposed to do and I'm not that good so but this is not about me it's about you so apart from golf um, I'm also a football referee. I've um, my dad passed away four years ago, and he was um, a referee and he mentored people. and He was the chairman of our local football league as well when he died. Um, and he always so, said I couldn't be a referee, so I thought well, I'm going to become a referee. Oh well, and is that uh, adults, kids? So I've I've been um, doing a bit of everything. Um, I've also been helping three of my kids become referees as well, um, and I was the referee at a girls under 16s cup final for kent a few weeks ago oh very good very good <laughs> now we're gonna go left field again because <laughs> okay. my son plays football um he's uh he's 16 he's just signed for kempston rovers uh for a couple of years before he goes off to the states and does a soccer scholarship out there and um i remember when they were under 12s or under 13s um and you know, helping. I referee games. I can't play football. I used to play hockey. I played hockey for thirty odd years, and I'm an umpire as well. But you know, being a referee is the same sort of thing. You see a foul, blow it up, and whatever. Um, my biggest shock was the foul mouths these like twelve, thirteen year olds had on the pitch, uh, effing and jeffing everywhere. And I'm like, you can't say that. You're only twelve or thirteen. Uh, but you know, it goes on, and. For me, it was it was a bit of a shock. 
and you know I was just a parent that was helping out at the time but um, yeah uh, girls football boys football I suppose it happens and did you get abuse did you get so, on the sidelines so um... In the youth game, I would say the managers and the parents are the worst offenders. Um, and then the players then feed off that. So yeah. if they hear a manager or their parents saying something, they then start to think it's acceptable. Um, the threat of a sin bin with a player is usually quite good. Yeah, because like, yeah, that kicked in. Um, for grassroots football, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, eight minutes in a sin bin for dissent to a referee is a, a really good deterrent. And they do tend to... N- not give you any dissent after being warned of that. Yeah, well, they should bring that into the Premiership. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so understanding that that you that's just, that's exciting. I didn't know that. That's that's kind of cool. Do you have a football team though? Liverpool. Oh my god. Sorry. This interview is over. Team of the eighties. <laughs> is it no? Um, I'm a Luton Town fan. Um, I suppose somebody has to. No, it did. It's, it's kind of exciting at the moment. Just about to just kick into the playoffs. By the time this goes out, um, what are we in now? So we should be on the way to Wembley oh, uh, okay. for the playoff final. Um, and uh, if not, I'll be, you know, going, well, we've had a good season. Finishing third in the championship with our budget is not too, too too bad. As for Liverpool, we've had a terrible season. Uh, and maybe Clippity Klopp needs to go back to Germany. Definitely I not. I um, I, no, the Liverpool fans love Klopp. Um <laughs> If you love a football team, you take the rough with the smooth, and it is what it is. No, indeed. And um, why Liverpool? Because you don't seem like a, a scouser <laughs> to me. Can I? So in my in my junior school, <laughs> if you didn't all support the same team, you got really bullied. So ah, everyone supported Liverpool because they were the team at the time. It's the team of the eighties. Team yeah. of the eighties. Now I get that. Um, I'm going to show you a picture later after we've finished, and you'll go, my gosh, is that you? Um, last question. Claire Phelps, five years from now, where do you want to be? Five years from now, I'd like to obviously still be at Wage Dream um, and us to be helping lots of people, even more people than we currently are, um, particularly um, frontline workers, because I love being a CISO I love being part of information security and I love the fact that I'm helping other people improve their lives at the same time fantastic answer um, Claire Phelps from Wagestream thank you for coming in and you've got this wonderful smile which is great and I think you've been on holiday and you've got this great tan must be the golf um, so uh, thank you for coming in and um, you've been listening to Cyberglass Ceiling Um, and uh, look forward to episode four when that comes out. Thank you.